everyone. Welcome to our podcast. It's not how you start, but how you finish. We are your co-hosts, Solomon and Jamila Jefferson. We want you all to know, no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we've made, we will not allow our past to determine our future. We welcome Sister Omni Richardson as our guest to discuss some of her experiences as a child impacted by having a parent who was incarcerated. Welcome, Sister Omni. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. So let us just jump right in. Can you briefly share a little bit about yourself personally and professionally? So I was born and raised in Lower Delaware. I am a recent graduate of Georgia State University, where I studied film and entrepreneurship. I'm actually a two-time entrepreneur. My first business venture began in 2012, and that was a jewelry-making business. It still runs today. And my second business is ministry-focused. It's called Detour by Purpose, and it's intended to uplift individuals who feel that they have missed or lacked their purpose. Did you ever feel ashamed that your parent was incarcerated? No, I've never felt any shame from my parents' incarceration. I feel like it was all for a purpose that's greater than that parent and myself. So I've never felt any shame with that. Did you ever feel resentful towards your parent? No, I've never felt any resentment. I actually had an understand well, an idea when I was younger that most Black fathers were incarcerated. So it was very normalized for me because many of my peers also faced the same situation. So I never had a chance to grow resentment. Do you remember how young approximately you were and then how old you were when your father was released? I believe I was about three, four years old when my father went in. And then he returned when I was about six or seven. Some facts that I was able to come across from Rutgers University, their children and families of incarcerated fact sheet. Children with parents in prison demographics, there's more than 2.7 million children in the U.S. have an incarcerated parent. That is one in 28 children. That's from the Pew Charitable Trust. Approximately 10 million children have experienced parental incarceration at some point in their lives. That resource was by incarcerated parents and their children by the author Nellis Maurer. Also, one in nine African-American children, that's 11.4%, one in 28 Hispanic children, 3.5%, and one in 57 white children, 1.8% in the United States have an incarcerated parent. Approximately half of children with incarcerated parents are under 10 years old. Also, I wanted to share that parents in prison, 92% of people in prison are male, 8% are female. Nationally, there are more than 120,000 incarcerated mothers and 1.1 million incarcerated fathers who are parents of minor children between the ages of 0 through 17. 59% of fathers and 58% of mothers had no personal visits from any of their children. In 2010, 93% of federal prisoners were convicted of nonviolent crimes, including 48% for drug offenses and 11% for immigration offenses. These trends have been intensified by the disproportionate impact of the war on drugs in which two-thirds of all persons in prisons for drug offenses are people of color. Most prisons are not accessible by any form of public transportation, restricting child and the parent from being able to have visits. In some cases, this means children will never visit their parents. 
caring for children who are experiencing the stigma and blame associated with parental incarceration is particularly difficult for caregivers and may be taxing emotionally and physically. Those were very interesting statistics. And some of the information that you shared rang true for my situation, one being that my father did not want visitations during his incarceration. Now that I'm older, I understand his reasoning more. However, as a child, I thought that it would be an automatic that a parent would want their want to be able to see their child in person. However, there are many other ways of communication. There's the phones, letters. And I've heard from people when they don't want visits that it wasn't about the kid. It was their shame and where they were in the season that they were in because there was a stigma, I guess, behind it. Being a person who was incarcerated off and on from uh, 1985 to 1999, when I got out, Fortunately for me, I decided to go to school, and I uh, majored in criminal justice. And if I can remember, in 2005, I was I was able to do a paper. I found out that according to the uh, criminal justice system in Delaware, that 74% of the incarcerated people had a parent in their life prior to their incarceration that had also been incarcerated. So what that taught me was that oftentimes people in jail or in prison, or in prison, because to some extent, it's learned behavior because they had a parent that was also incarcerated. Did you accept visits from your children, or? Well, well as far as visits was concerned, I didn't want no visits either, because I was really trying to focus on myself, because in order for me to help my children, first and foremost, I realized that I had to help myself. Then I was able to work on my children. As a matter of fact, I was able to make amends with my children after my incarceration because some of the things that I know that they had to deal with while I was incarcerated. One of the greatest lessons that I learned was that incarcerated individuals are no different from individuals who may have not been incarcerated. My father likes to say it's just that their sin was broadcasted, recorded for the public to see. But I realized that other individuals around me dealt into some of the same activities that caused people to be incarcerated or other activities that weren't so positive. I really learned how to not judge individuals because of their incarceration and to see them in a more positive light in the fact that maybe they didn't have proper guidance. Whatever they may have done to get incarcerated could have been redirected with proper guidance. And a scripture that stands out to me when you said to not judge, but for the grace there go I, Luke 6, verse 37 from the ICB translation states, do not judge others and you will not be judged. Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you will be forgiven. So at the end of the day, we have to be mindful because you don't know a person's situation. We're not in their situation. All we can do is love and know that God is faithful and allow God's will to be done because we know the standard is Christ, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So at the end of the day, no one's any better than anyone else. Do you think that your father benefited from his incarceration? Absolutely. I feel as if if he didn't go into prison at the timing that he did, 
he may not have matured and able to raise me and my older brother in the way that he did. When he came out of prison, he was very mature. And then he had my younger brothers. And who knows how life would have went for any of us if he did not have that transformation within the prison. And the leadership that he had in the streets was transformed into something positive to teach his kids how to be leaders and to be strong and to make good decisions for the right things. Was there ever a time that you felt embarrassed or felt not led to share your story openly? I've never felt embarrassed. However, I have learned to not always offer information that's not asked for. And I say this because sometimes people are looking to cut your spirit, to cut your cart deep where they know that they can really bother you. And I really love my father. And as I said earlier, I have no shame in his incarceration. However, sometimes people seek information to try to really dig deep and get you out of the positive mindset that you may be in. As I was preparing for this discussion that we're having, I came across in the literature different people's stories of is impacted by parents who were incarcerated. And one thing I'm led to share was from the Michelle Obama podcast titled Across Generations, Michelle Obama and Her Mentees. It was released on September the 10th, 2020. And one of her mentees has shared, and I'll just read, you know, what she stated. While I was at the White House, well, pretty much all my life, I have never really shared that my father was in prison. And he spent a good chunk of my childhood in prison. He didn't get out until I was about in the ninth or 10th grade. And he went in when I was three years old. So I had never shared that with anyone because, you know, I was just always ashamed of that story. So post White House, I sat Mrs. Obama down. I'm like, okay, I just got to tell you, in the event anything happens, I want you to know this part about my story. I just told her my father was locked up when I was a kid. And she was like, is that all you had to tell me? Is that really all you had to tell me? And for me, I was just like, yeah, I wasn't expecting that reaction. Like, that's heavy. That's deep. And at that moment, she encouraged me to always share my story because you never know what young person can relate to that. You never know what that can do for somebody who might have been in that same situation. And they can see themselves in you now and they know that something's achievable. And so basically, in paraphrasing, Michelle Obama was saying that It's important to share our stories and tell our truth narrative because you never know how that can bless someone. And also that it showed her young mentee's resilience because I think she was from a single family home, father incarcerated, and that ultimately that God was in it because look at where she's at now. And I thought about you, you're a first generation college graduate, you, you know, were in a home of a single parent and also your father was incarcerated. And that is definitely what our platform is for, to continue to be the hope and the light. And one thing I am constantly learning, because Sister Omni, uh, I know your father very well. As a matter of fact, we're family. But, but to say this, the Bible lets us know in Romans eight twenty eight that all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord. And the reason why I brought that up is because I remember me and your father walking together back then, doing wrong, basically. 
But we knew even then that we was doing wrong and we knew that God had a calling on our lives because one day we were just sitting there talking and we were saying, at that time we was called the dog pound. And we were saying to ourselves, one of these days, this dog pound is going to be converted into a church. And the reason why I'm saying that is because when I got incarcerated, my last go-round in November 28, 1999, I had a transformation also. And the reason why I brought that up is because sometimes God used whatever vehicle he needs to use to get our attention. I look at incarceration as an eye-opener because that's the place that God used to slow us down and transform us into what he wants us to be. Amen. Amen. So now we're going to talk about some practical tools and resources that can be helpful to kids who parents are incarcerated, as well as to, you know, letting the caregivers know. Well, first and foremost, I would like to say that God is our refuge and strength. Regardless of what we go through, the Bible lets us know that we're going to have trials and tribulations. And everybody's trial and tribulations are different. The Bible also says if you want to follow God or follow Jesus Christ, the first thing we have to learn to do is deny ourselves, pick up the cross, and follow him. Now, for me and for your father, for that season, picking up my cross was, first and foremost, enduring those years of incarceration that we had to do and stay into our word. Because the word is the first thing that's going to start the transformation. In order to know who God is, you got to read his word. And before that even happens, the Holy Spirit has to draw you. And I truly believe in my spirit with those of us who have been incarcerated. The Holy Spirit has drawn us while we was incarcerated because when we was on the street, he tried to draw us, but we didn't adhere to it. We didn't pay no attention to it. But when we got confined to those four walls, that's when the Holy Spirit really groomed us and allow us to become the people of God that we are today. So now what we do now as brothers in Christ, we minister to other brothers to try to let them know that there is hope. And the hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Two points that I would like to make are that no matter if it's for your parent being incarcerated or some other home issue that you may face, seek healthy fellowship and mentorship. And I say that because that's what happened to me. I wasn't seeking it, but I definitely was surrounded by great mentors who encouraged me, who supported me and made me feel so loved. And some of these mentors I met as young as five, six years old, and they're still very active in my life today. So as a child, sometimes you may come across an adult that you feel is trying to become involved and may show some tough love, but that may be a mentor and someone who's really trying to show the love of Christ and help you in whatever journey that you may be on. That was one example that I had listed mentorships. What's the next one? With healthy fellowship, to seek a way to fellowship with others in Christ. And even if you're new to Christ, try out some churches, try out some Bible study groups, Seek Christian friendship and mature Christian friends that can really help you. 
We know about Angel Tree with Prison Fellowship. One of their things is that they share the love of Christ in a tangible way that strengthens family bonds, delivering personalized gifts in the gospel to children on behalf of their incarcerated parents at Christmas. Every Angel Tree family is also given access to a free, easy-to-read copy of the Bible in English or Spanish. And they also have a model, too, where um, it's Prison Fellowship going beyond Christmas like an ongoing ministry for prisoners' families throughout the year for like faith-based organizations. When I was incarcerated, I used Angel Tree probably about 17 times. Every Christmas, I used Angel Tree. And what Angel Tree did for me was it allowed my children to get Christmas presents. As I was incarcerated, you fill out a form, and what Angel Tree does is they take your form and they see what your child wants and they make sure your child get it. So that was very instrumental for me because they gave the gifts to my children on my behalf. Also, I came across another resource. It's called Scholar Chips for Children of Incarcerated Parents, founded by Yasmin Arrington. And she had a father that was incarcerated as well. The way her organization started was she was looking for scholarships to go to college, and she didn't find any that were regarding kids who had incarcerated parents. And so she was like a fellow in some nonprofit organization and she had to create a project. And that's how like her organization became about. And their website is www.scholarchipsfund.org. That's S-C-H-O-L-A-R-C-H-I-P-S. F-U-N-D.org. So I was like, wow, look at God. And also I came across Isabella Coronado. She is a policy entrepreneur, which is part of the Next 100. It's a startup think tank for and by the next generation of policy leaders. And her area of specialty is criminal justice. What their organization stands for is that they're working to change the face and future of progressive policy and to build a more inclusive, equal, and just America. And their website is the Next. 100.org. That's T-H-E-N-E-X 100.org. And she stated that she's a child of incarcerated parents, a tribal member, a champion for change, and that she wants to see a change where Indigenous people are heard and have a great seat at the table. She said, I want to disrupt the way our country systematically oppresses people of color by creating solutions to our justice system. All of y'all stories are just so powerful to continue to give hope to other people and to encourage and to inspire and for us to break the stigma and to be a vessel of hope and resources for also caregivers. Because just listening to some of the statistics and what we discussed at times when the person goes away to prison, it does impact the whole family unit, not only just the inmate, but it affects the kids and those that are caring for the kids. So also too, some people tend to not acknowledge the um, type of grief that caregivers and the families and kids are impacted by. And the word is disenfranchised grief, which is emotional response to a loss that is not acknowledged by society, like say other forms of grief that we tend to acknowledge. And this was taken from the Spiritual Resilience Council Psychoeducational Training Manual. They serve formerly incarcerated persons. So we have to continue to break the stigma, break the silence, and know that there's hope because all of what we go through is not in vain. You know, it's only to continue to teach and grow us and to bring glory to God and to give others hope that just like you and others, God is so faithful. Yes. 
I actually want to share this scripture, one of my favorite scriptures, James 1, 2 to 4. And it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And this scripture stands out to me because for those who go through incarceration and their troubles that lead to the incarceration, those trials build character in them. And in the example of my father and the host, it produced maturity and leadership for so many who may have followed them on one side. Now they see them winning for God and wanting to follow them in this path as well. Amen. Amen. And yes, that is nothing but God. You know, we go through things to give comfort and support and help to others because we're vessels used by the Lord. And so ultimately God is going to get the glory because when Solomon gives his testimony and your dad gives his testimony, it all centers back to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ as the ultimate. So yes, definitely so. And before we close, I want to share this too. We, we need to realize that the Bible lets us know that the enemy, the devil, Satan, or whatever you want to call him, he desires to swift us as we. But we got to realize greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. The enemy wants us to go on that crooked path. But Jeremiah 29, 11 lets us know, therefore I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So what that tells me is that regardless of the path that the enemy tried to get us on, God has a plan for us, and that plan is to prosper us. And I thank God that I was allowed through the Holy Spirit to get connected with that plan. Amen. Amen. So I noticed you mentioned earlier in the beginning that you're an entrepreneur. So the ministry-based project I'm working on is called Detoured by Purpose, and it's all about encouraging individuals to know that anytime you face a cancellation, a reset, a pause, any form of hindrance on your path, there's a purpose for that, and it's all for what God has called you to. So if anyone is looking to find out more information, they can visit www.detouredbypurpose.com, www.detouredbypurpose.com, C-O-M. That's www.detouredbypurpose.com. Amen. Well, we are so grateful to the Lord to have you today. We learned so much and Continue to be so faithful unto the Lord. Continue the good work that you're doing for not only yourself, but for others so that ultimately God will continue to get the glory. Amen. Love you too. So no matter the cards we've been dealt in life or the mistakes we have made, it does not define who we are or where we are going. It is just a part of our story and the journey that God has us on to not only learn from these different experiences, but to sometimes be able to help support, encourage, and inspire others who may be going through similar situations. 
My husband and I have learned this to be true because of our different life experiences, which have led us in wanting to continue to share our stories along with others to know it is not how you start, but how you finish. 